Hello listener and welcome to the first ever Black and White Noise, the official Dunfermline Athletic Podcast. I'm Stephen Dunkerley and my co-host is Michael Thomas. Hello. Uh, we all know, Michael, you're not the scorer of the most famous goal in English football. No, that wasn't me, that wasn't me. And nobody's aware of who I am, so <laughs> I thought we'd probably slay down our, our reasons for being here. Uh, so, I've been going to East End Park since I was six years old, it takes us back to, to 1984. Uh, you're probably not too many years behind, yeah, when, did you, when did you come to Dunfermline? 18, 1985, so, yeah. You've been about seven? I was about seven, that's right. Okay. Where did you, where did you come from before then? Uh, well, uh, we lived in Stennismuir. And so where were you born? Falkirk. Uh, anyway, between us, we've got a lot of games over the over the thirty odd years. So just picking one at random. Uh, your, your memories of Tanadice and the Stuart Pearce goal. Ah, uh, uh, I uh, I had to work that day. I couldn't make the game. All ah, right. Yeah. What about the Edge promotion winning game then, the Mark Miller penalty? Uh, I had to work that day. I couldn't make the game. Ah, see. What's your favourite memory then? <laughs> My favourite memory uh, would probably be the uh, the Rangers game, the 1988 Cubs 2-0 win. Do you remember that game? No, I was uh, swimming with the Cubs that day, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so, aside from that, what, what else have you done for Dunfermline Athletic then? Well, aside from that, I, I was a steward. Uh, I assisted the uh, with the horrible history of Dunfermline Athletic for the, the uh, Heritage Trust. Um, I designed things for the Help the Pars uh, campaign. Um, I used to film the games as the Jews, Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked the Port of Rubridge to raise funds. Uh, I, I made the Martin Hardy masks that we all wore at Morton, which was good. Um, and produced, <laughs> probably my proudest achievement, <laughs> I feel, <laughs> those masks. Uh, produced a uh, full-length version of that Martin Hardy song with the Barbara Streisand tune uh, and uh, <laughs> infamously modelled football strips on DEFC.net. It's quite an extensive list. Yeah. yeah. You ever written a book? A book? You call that a book? Uh, for those of you who don't know, Stephen wrote Into the Valley uh, and he sent uh, Odyssey Part 1. So when's Part 2 out, Steve? That's kind of a work in progress, Michael, but we'll move swiftly on from that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ross MacArthur, the club chairman. Uh-huh. And I can maybe top that because I started supporting the club when I was in 1977, before, okay. before you two guys. And I'm still, still here to, to see it. <laughs> before we were born, Ross. Exactly. That, that's not been Many, many story. years before we were born, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, not quite. But, uh, well, that puts us uh, into our little box. We're, we're back in our place. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think Ross wins that one. Uh, Ross, we're very glad to have you here. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us. And first thing we were going to talk about is just the last couple of games, which seemed like a, a lifetime away given we had the, the, the free week last week. Uh, and of course, Pars being the Pars, just as we start the podcast, they decided to give us a, a nil-nil draw to talk about at Livingston. I, I haven't sort of really looked at the highlights and I was like, it looks like we were quite unlucky. Obviously, Nicky Clark had a, a shot in the first half that looked like it was goal-bound. I don't know if a defender got in the way, but... Yeah, I, th- I mean, the, the game against Livingston, um, it, it was a bit of a battle, to be fair, because uh, they are a, a big physical side, and I thought we competed really well against them, particularly with the, the changes in formation that the manager uh, you know, had, um, had made, the new players come, coming in, they don't take a wee time yet to, to bed in, but yeah, we were unlucky, Nicky had a good chance, Declan McManus had a chance, but it's, it's difficult playing against Livingston because they defend uh, very, very uh, well and very, very deep. Maybe the disappointing thing was uh, we put so much into the game, that down at 10 men or 20 minutes to go and it didn't seem like we looked like we were going to force the winner. But then again, the end's in sight for them to go down at 10 men, it kind of reinforces the game plan maybe. Yeah. But the positive is, they were team in form, ahead of us in the league, it didn't cause us endless amounts of problems on the day, so it's maybe something to build on. Uh, previous to that was the, the game up at Capolo. Uh, they seem to have a wee bit of Indian sign over us at the moment, uh, just especially in the last five minutes of games. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know if you've seen the, the highlights, Michael, of yeah. the game, but look, we've had enough chances to, to, to win the game before before the end. Yes, I mean, that's, that's happened a few times this season. I think we've, there's been times we've played, uh, well, certainly in my view, we've played really well made chances just not with the rub of the green. I mean, you, I don't know, you can't, you can't rely on luck, but we've deserved better results at times. 
Yeah, I think I mean, the Morton game in particular, uh, I agree with what Michael's saying, they do seem to have a bit of an Indian sign over us and the, the, the most frustrating thing is that the, the manner in which they've scored goals against us late on, uh, you know, basically you know, kicking the ball at the park and being caught and I know from speaking to the manager on the Friday before the game, that was one of the things that you know he specifically talked about. I know he was equally frustrated that um, you know, Morton scored in that manner. Um, and you know, again, that you cannot legislate for that. And if anybody was going to win that game, it looked as though we were going to win the game. Uh, positive was though that Tom Beadling got on his score sheet on his on his full debut, uh, so that obviously helps him settle in a lot. Uh, on the flip side, apart from the last goal, kind of the first Martin goal was a bit of a sickener as well because it's, it's a free header, another free header, and Tids are kind of goes in, no challenge. So yeah, it must be. Must be quite galling when you know you've worked hard, you got in the lead, and then you lose a goal in that manner too. Yeah, and and that's that, that's what kills you individual mistakes. Ah. You know, and, um, you know, when in any game of football, if you miss chances and you know, through individual mistakes, you you know you give away goals, you're going to make it really really hard for yourself. And, and unfortunately, we're in that sort of spell at the moment. But we've got to we've got to shake ourselves out of that, and we've, we've got to start winning games. Ah. Well, obviously the, the transfer window is sort of quite a, an active period, so reinforce the squad. Hopefully, will uh, kick us on a bit, maybe a bit of fresh impetus, uh, a bit more competition for places as well. So, just adding myself, obviously Lee Robinson was a, a necessity at the start of the window, but we've added James Craig and James Vincent, Tom Beadling, and Danny Armstrong. Now, one thing that stuck out to me is first and foremost a lot of guys that play in midfield. A bit difficult one to answer with the manager being here, but is there a feeling that we're, we were short in that area for the first part of the season? Yeah, the, the, there was, uh, you know, that, that was an area that we had looked to, to strengthen before. We, we, we did, but again, it's just trying to get the, the right players in. Um, and one, one of the things, if, again, if, if you have to speak to the manager, you'll say is that he, he wanted a wee bit more mobility mm-hmm. in, in the midfield, a wee bit more legs and energy, uh-huh. and that's that's what he's added. Um, and that was one of the reasons why he was keen to get James Craig in, um, uh, in as well, because again, he can play in a variety of positions. He's two-footed um, and, and he's got you know a good engine, as they say, you know, in terms of getting up and down the path. And again, if you, if you look at a lot of the games uh, recently, he's got himself into really good positions and players maybe haven't played him in or he's nearly scored. So again, he has got that knack of scoring the goal. And back to what you were saying about Tom, um, Tom was a young boy who came up on uh, trial, performed really well, but then he got injured, mm-hmm. and he had to go back down to, to Sunderland. Uh, another player that we had in at the time got injured as well. So again, it's lady luck, but thankfully his injury wasn't as bad as we thought, and he came back up again. He was very, very keen to, um, you know, get an opportunity to play first team football. Um, and again, he 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 looks the part. He's he's, he's big, strong, uh, not frightened to uh, put the foot in. Um, and again, good energy, and uh, you've obviously got a good shot on them as well. Uh, I mean, obviously, the, the one slight concern might be obviously Beadling and Armstrong are quite inexperienced first team, but so is Adam Hamill, I suppose. So yeah, you know, they can work one of two ways. Uh, are they on loan till the end of the season? Yeah, they're both on loan till the end of the season. Um, I mean, Tom, Tom Beadling um, and uh, Daniel are um, obviously playing under-23 football down in England mm-hmm. um, and that's a big step up from under-20 football in Scotland Yes, and that, that's one of the things that you know, one of the things that we've had to look at uh, um, in quite a bit of detail as a club and if you're trying to attract players you're, you're, you're in the market for the same type of players as <laughs> every, other, every other club in the top end of the Championship or the bottom end of the Premier League so we've tried to think out the box you know we've put a lot of time and effort into the, the, the recruitment um, and scouting um, facilities at the club and we've, we've tried you know been down visiting clubs down south to develop relationships with the bigger clubs to create some sort of strategic relationship where we get their some of the better players <laughs> to come up and okay they might not have played a lot of first team football and there's a there's a learning um, opportunity for them but they're, they're bigger, they're stronger uh, players than what you, if you get a, you know, an under 20s player maybe coming from one of the Premier Division clubs, they are still young boys really, um, whereas the, the, the boys that are coming from down south, they're, they're young men I would say. Aye. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
stuff. So they got ahead of the ground running. They're just there at the end of the season. It's great for their development, but they're here to help us to the end yeah. of the season. Who knows yeah. what will happen after that? Yeah. One player that left was, was Callum Smith. Michael, I know you're a big fan. I am a fan, yeah. He's doing very well at the start of the season, yeah. So, I mean, it'll be great for him, I think, to to get more chance of first-team football. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do like seeing Callum come on the pitch. So, uh, I, hope, I hope he's back soon. He's stay on the pitch at Halloween. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe it was very harsh, the red card. I've not seen it, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so I uh, could possibly call it. <laughs> 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 I wouldn't be in that position, Ross. But the one, it's, it's interesting just what you're saying there. I'll probably ask the next question. That obviously, by the time a lot of these boys came in, it's close to the end of the window, we're already out of the cup. But is it just a case of they have offers elsewhere? Uh, it's their own career they've got to think about. They're, they're maybe, you know, we would all queue outside overnight to play for Dunfermline, but these, these guys are professional footballers and it's their livelihood. Yeah. Again, you know the, the thing. You know, what, what, one of the things that uh, maybe not everybody appreciates is that um, you know Dunfermline is a big club, and every time a player signs, I hear them say, "Oh, this is a massive club," and not you know, and, and they, they, they say the same things, and um, and and you know, we 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 all know it's a massive club, but we're, the level that we're at in the championship makes it really difficult for you to recruit players. Ah. Now, we've had to work really hard with the, the bigger English clubs um, to for them to think that coming to the Scottish Championship is the right level for these players to develop. Yeah. Because, the, you know, a lot of English clubs think this is, you know, a, an inferior mm -hmm. uh, place for, for people to uh, develop. And, you know, that, that's just the way of the world. So, they might loan players to the Premier League, but they're not... They're, Pretty reticent to mm -hmm. um, loan players to the the championship, so you you've got to go through that process. You've got to work hard and explain it, what we do as a club, the professionalism that we've got, the data that we will give these clubs on all the training sessions that we do, all the sports data, everything that we do. You've got you've got to basically put that together. So I, I had to put together a presentation for these clubs. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to work hard at this. It isn't just the back of the <laughs> fag packet type thing. And oh, we like him. All right, okay, send him up the road. That's not how it operates, ah. and it, it takes time. And one, there was another player. I'll give you an example. There was another player that um, it was agreed that he was he was, he was coming to us um, from a championship club in England, um, and then they had an injury crisis, um, and he got he, he he was on the bench. And he came on and he and, and he scored a goal, <laughs> and now now he's been a regular in that championship club in England. Okay. But you know, if they did, if they didn't have that in, injury crisis, Aye. he would have signed for us till the end of the season. And that that's what you cannot legislate no. for, and it's frustrating because you know I, I'm a fan at the end of the day, and I, I'm wanting to try and get the best players in that we can, but it doesn't always happen. And also, where we are as a club in terms of the transfer windows, players will have other options. Aye. And you know they might you know a lot of them want to play the highest level, so they'll they'll wait and see if they get a you know a, a an option to maybe play in the in the Premier League. If they don't, then they may well come down to our level, and that's why a lot of things will happen towards the end of the window. Yes, right. Yeah. So clubs begin to fill up their squad. Yeah, and then, like, in an ideal world, you'd have them all on the first of January, but that's not that's not how it operates. Mm, that's the internet world that we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> So uh, it takes on nicely to uh, James Vincent, who's maybe one that you know, was looking for offers in the Premier League, that was to come from Dundee. Uh, very popular signing, given his most famous goal. The <laughs> <against Hogwarts>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he looks like he's uh, someone of the right mindset from what I've seen to, to, to make an impact straight away. Yeah, no, I, again, he's a, a, a good calibre player. Again, we had to... I mean that that's been ongoing um, since late December. Again, we, again we tried to get that one in uh, earlier, but um, I, again we, we just couldn't couldn't get that done. The the, the player I know wanted to come here, mm -hmm. but it was just um, a few issues um, in, in terms of the uh, the deal that we had to agree with Dundee. But eventually we got that sorted, and it's a great opportunity uh, for James to get his career back on track because yeah he's played at a good level and scored a, a winner in the <laughs> Scottish Cup final. Um, <laughs> who was that against? <laughs> I'm struggling to remember that one. Some, some, exactly who, some, some lead team. Um, okay, anyway. But yeah no he, you know he's, he's, he's played at a good level he, he, he's played 40 odd uh, games for Dundee over the last 18 months um, played consistently well for Inverness in the Premier League Aye. so no he's you know, good credentials so hopefully he pushes on. Yes I know. Top six with Inverness, mm -hmm. cup winners in them. Like mm -hmm. He wasn't completely frozen out with Dundee, so I'd expect, you know. 
Uh, he might have had other offers to his brother, but I'd like to... Well, he, I, I know for a fact he did have other offers, yeah, but he was keen to come here. And I think, you know, the longer it went on, he, he was getting a wee bit frustrated. Aye, it's a massive club. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> uh, but the good thing is, uh, Jordan Burt has uh, interviewed James Vincent, uh, and that's something that we can hear now. When you wake up on Cup Final Day, people say there's this buzz around the players, around the club. There's a different feeling to yeah. a normal game. Is that how it came across to you? Yeah, it was a bit. Um, it was good. It was really good. We had everyone focused on the game, everyone buzzing about it. And you're right, on the day of the game, like obviously you knew the team, you knew your position. I was on the bench, I knew that, I understood that. I always felt I'd come on. But I was rooming with Marley Watkins as well, so um, he also scored on the day. So me and him were buzzed up for it. Uh, getting ready and we'd spoke about it all week and we both had a positive impact. Talk us through the goal then. Yeah, it was it was a it was a crazy one to be honest. Like I said, I could I, Marley Marley broke away with the ball and just slowly started jogging forward at first. Here's Watkins though and he could be away. And I think he nicked past the first player and I broke into maybe a half jog, half three quarters and then as I as I got over the halfway line I thought I've got a chance here and I ran on and I was open and he cut inside and I actually always said to him to this day I said you should have passed to me because he took the shot but in hindsight I'm happy with him because I got it on the plate for him to be honest Growing up, were you always a midfielder by trade, or was it something you fell into as you, you grew up? No, I was always a midfielder by trade. Uh, I used to play out on the right when I was younger. I used to have a little bit of pace until until I lost it. But uh, no, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I've always been more and more or less a midfielder. Um, I played right back. I think a lot of midfielders can almost fill in at right back sometimes. It's kind of uh, natural to them. And I played in almost the the number ten sort of role in Inverness. I used to do that quite a lot. Uh, we used to play a four two three one, and I used to play anywhere across the front three. So I enjoyed that. But more often than not, yeah, I've been a midfielder. Um, but nine times out of ten, midfielders can usually play a multiple of positions. It's just about learning to adapt and going from there. As a youngster, when you were growing up, obviously the down in England, you had the. English Premier League kind of come yeah. about the whole exposure through Sky was that something that you looked at seven eight year old and said wow that's what I want to do when I'm older yeah I mean I think everyone almost does regardless of where you are in the world I think it's probably one of the biggest leagues in the world so everyone looks at it and thinks oh, I'd love to kind of be on that stage doing them things but everyone just kind of works hard finds a level and then enjoys it and uh, I've enjoyed my career so far um, I'm enjoying my time at Dunfermline so long may it continue just say thanks to Jordan and you can hear all his interviews and all his articles on his website, jordanburkfootball.com. So, next thing I thought we'd, we'd skip on to was just a kind of look back in the season so far. Uh, we topped the League Cup group for a start, mm. which was a, a, an enormous achievement. Next round didn't go as well for us on the pitch, but maybe maybe in the, in the coffers it wasn't too bad. 5-1 victory against Inverness, 3-1 Derby won against Falkirk. So we, we could have done that a 3-0 hammering. And Libby was... But 3 0 here, I think it was 3 1, wasn't it? They got a consolation goal at the end. So, always all flying at the start. But what would you say, Cliff Michael? What, what was your abiding thoughts of that? The, the memory I had of the, the memory I have at the start of the season, um, which seems a long time ago. I was going to say, way, way, <laughs> way back in now. Yeah, way, way back. Um, uh, we seemed to be free flowing. Ah. The players were flying, we were moving fast, everyone was moving around really nicely. I mean, uh, I don't want to say we're better than Man City, but you know we were we were knocking it about really nicely. It was pushing it. It was pushing it. Was, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I hear Pep took most of his uh, <laughs> his ideas from from us, um, and everything was just clicking. I mean that that game at Hearts. I know I know it finished two two in the end, but we we could we took it apart. I thought it was brilliant, and it was it was a joy to watch. I, f- I feel that as has happened a few times as the. Uh, as the, the wetter and darker months have come in, we've, we've kind of fallen away a, bit, a wee bit. And I don't know if that's just because we play such pure football <laughs> and we, we need high-quality pitches or, or, or what it is. But, um, yeah, it's it's been a, been a bit of a slump, but the start was, start was awesome. I, th- I think that there's a couple of factors from that point of view. Obviously, Joe Cardo was in great form, which mm. seen from his past career, when he's in great form in the championship, he absolutely thrives at this level. He's unstoppable, yeah. Uh, so, him getting injured kind of 
dent the momentum a little bit. The other thing is that the teams are all quite well matched. You know, the Inverness game, we were, I think we were 3-1 up at half time, it was quite a close first half. And then you suddenly get a couple of goals in the second half, it looks like an absolute paste. And mm-hmm. You actually look at it on the day, it maybe wasn't a, a 5-1. And, you know, the, you know so suddenly you know, these things don't quite go for you. And, you know, you get a runner like United away, which was obviously a difficult one. We lose that. Game after that, we phone St Mirren, who are flying. And then you've got the Queen of the South one in, in, in the middle. And obviously that was the most disappointing game this season, I would mm-hmm. say. Uh, it was quite so happy. far, Steve. Uh, so far, yeah, well, you're the happy clapper <laughs> here. Mike. Still time. Be positive. You're, you're, you're the happy clapper here, Michael. Yeah, yeah, no. it's, it's hard to imagine there being a worse game than that one. To be fair, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, I, I, I would agree. I mean, the, the Queen of the South game was, uh, you know, a, a poor, poor performance, as the manager said himself. And you know, again, it's, it was one of these days where everything just went wrong um, and you, you cannot afford uh, to be having too many days like that but um, the good thing for me is I saw a reaction straight away the next week at um, uh, Paisley um, how, how we didn't get someone out of that game I'll never know um, and I thought we played well up at Tannadice mm-hmm. you know, the week before but we, you know, Stephen Doby um, was on fire that day and, mm-hmm. and to be fair I, I would say I know Lewis Morgan gets a lot of plaudits, but I think Stephen Dobie is the best football player in the in the division. But I think, to be fair, we gave him free reign that day. Um, but you know, he is a clever, clever player. Um, but yeah, that 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 wasn't a, a you know a, a great performance that day. But that, in apart from that, and and maybe the Dundee United game at home uh, when it was three one, the games have been just there's, there's nothing in it. And the first goal in this league is so so important, ah, mm, totally. um, and and that's why I said earlier, you know, if you don't take your chances when they come along, uh, an individual mistake gives a goal away. You know, all of a sudden you're on the back foot, and ah. that that's what changes a lot of the, the games in this division, and that's where St. Mirren really have uh, you know managed to do well, and uh, that they've been resilient enough. They, they defend, I think, better than a lot of teams in the mm-hmm. league. They don't lose a lot of goals, and they just they've been grinding out results. Um, but I, I still don't think St. Mirren are that much better than than, than we are. But they've, 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 they've got the habit of winning games. Exactly. Just another thing I'll touch on because it's remiss of us not to the first part of the season is obviously the Dean Shields situation. Now, obviously, that's a really tough for him to take, and he, he dealt with it well on the on the park. Uh, Obviously, he, he's going to struggle with that. Does that have a, a knock-on effect in the dressing room, or does it galvanise the dressing room? Would you say, or is it difficult to tell? Well, I think, I think to be fair, I, I, they are a close-knit uh, bunch of boys, and I think if anything, it you know, galvanised. Particularly when we played Falkirk here on the second of January, that that was one of the things that the boys all, um, you know, uh, wanted to win the game for, you know, for Dean because, mm-hmm. and that that was before what happened in the stands. Uh-huh. That, that was just based on. Uh, the abuse that he got from the two players, um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a really difficult time uh, for Dean, and we've tried to support him as best we can uh, as a club because I always say there's a duty of care on you know uh, as an employer that you, you put a look after your staff. But I thought he he handled the whole situation really really well. He's, yeah, he had great strength of character, but I know how difficult it has been for him, and you know he's obviously he's married and uh, got a young child. And his, his wife's due a baby any time soon, so mm. people don't understand all of that. It's not you're not just harming or abusing a player. No. You know, it's it's everybody who is attached to them gets gets caught up in that. And look, it, it was disgusting what went on. There's right. absolutely uh, nothing else that you, you can say about it. I think people do forget that it's not eleven robots that are on the pitch running around with no emotion, you know, and everyone's a, a person who gets affected in different ways. Uh, especially something that's affected your life since you're a nine year old, you know, it's gonna be Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's gonna be quite raw. Yeah. Uh, I think he deserves a, a lot of credit. I mean, as you've said, he's very been very professional about it from what I've seen and um, hopefully it's come to an end now. Well, hope, hopefully it has. I mean, we'll, we'll see, obviously, when we're uh, uh, back at Falkirk. But I, I, what I did notice was one or two other um, you know, uh, club supporters uh, had sort of jumped on the bandwagon a wee mm-hmm. bit. But that seems to have uh, quietened down now, uh, which I'm glad to see. Yeah. Uh, common sense has prevailed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, as with most, club, most clubs, you're going to get your idiots. But mm-hmm. hopefully, 
most most fans are going to be self-policing and just say yeah. like, come on, get that arrested. That, no, no, there's, there's a line, and that's beyond it. And, and yeah, that, that's what you hope. We've all been in Dunfermline Fairs where there's odd thing that's happened that you wouldn't agree with. You, mm-hmm. know, you, say you just hope that you put people in their place and put a stop to mm-hmm. uh, But yeah, like, the answer that at the Falkirk game, like you were saying, is, is as well as could be answered it magnificently, I should say. You had a really good game there. Yeah, you did. Uh, you great, did. great outpouring emotion at the end. Uh-huh. Uh, it, was, it was actually a thoroughly good performance, that. Uh, mm. And it was nice to see him getting the, the support off the fans at the end as well, when they were singing his name and things like that. Right. You know, and that, that, that's important. And to be fair, though, you know, we've had uh, we've had letters of support from clubs uh, all over Scotland for Dean, mm-hmm. including you know letters from Falkirk. So yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's like anything else. It's a minority of, of people, unfortunately. And for for all you know, we'll have the odd joke at Falkirk's expense. Hopefully, as the season goes on, but uh, you know, they're not like their club to be portrayed in that manner. No, so they've got to attract new fans and they've got to attract players as yeah. well. They're in the same yeah. boat as us as well. No, definitely. Uh, but the two 0 game is a Really, really good game to start mm. the season. Uh, obviously, a bit of a break with the, the goal. You know, the, the first one, the Nicky Clark goal, the, the, the young keeper maybe should have done better there. But what I think was maybe uh, a couple of things I thought were maybe bypassed was McManus's finish at the start of the second half. It's it was a fantastic finish. Yeah. Uh, it's a real striker's finish there. A good bit of improvisation. And then uh, I, thought, I thought that did really well. They did, Good kind of shape to the team. They seem to counter attack after that, particularly effectively. There and the Dundee United game, I mm. thought it looked very, very solid. Looked like a counter attacking team. Looked like a kind of change in tactic. Uh, again, the, you know, the Dundee United game. You know, again, I think if you're being honest, we should have won that game. Right. You know, the, no doubt about it. And and again, there's another game. Where, you know, really, I mean, for whatever reason, they they seem to have something over us that they. they you know, we, we just can't beat them, but we should have beaten them that day. We had plenty of chances, and they just luck deserted us. Right, well, it was the McManus one on one. Don't know if you remember, I was right through, and it kind of, he was kind of got pushed and tried to squeeze it to the keeper's legs, just about made it. Yeah. Peyton had a chance that almost went in, and there was one up, one up the post right Yeah, there, that was McManus said. again. Uh, in between those two games, obviously, the, maybe the goal of the season from the the game at, up at Dumbarton. Oh, Cardinal's goal. Aye, the, yeah. the pass from Shields and the, the goal from Cardinal. Uh, looked like quite a good performance that day. Mm. Yeah, so it was a good, it was a good uh, goal from Joe. Um, again, in the second, I mean, the first half uh, was a lot better than the second half. In the second half, it, it, it kind of reverted a wee bit to type in the games that, that sometimes you get at Dumbarton with the weather conditions and things like that. But the first half, I thought, you know, we, we played well, not so good in the second. Pass. But Christian Nadi seemed to cause the problem at half-time as well. He's uh, you know, quite a handful once he gets going. So, uh, so we're, we're all, all kind of guns blazing. Obviously, just before those games, we won at Beacon, so we went into the Martin Cup game in you know, good form. Uh, like Lee Robertson started well, three clean sheets. Mm. Uh, just seemed a wee bit unlucky then, like you're saying, first goal again we lost back in the game. And then Katongo, uh, I'm sure he's done that before against us in the last minute as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, that's, you know, the, the, well, I wonder if set up, but that, that was a, a sore one because ah. obviously there's quite a bit of money now in the, the Scottish Cup, the way they've uh, re- redone the finances because they've reduced the television money mm-hmm. uh, and put it more into the prize money. But yeah, that game, obviously, we got back into a good goal from Declan and the keeper, how he has saved Nicky Clark's header. Ah, uh, yes, uh, um, <laughs> But then he's done it again uh, at Capital in the league game. Aye, um, well, I've got notes of that. Did one he save and one actually hits him in the face eight, or something? Yeah. <laughs> And then when you look at well, Kutong- part, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you look at Katongo's goal, you know, he hits it and it goes between Big Jean's legs uh, and, yeah. and kinda unsights the goalkeeper. But it's just It's a great finish to be fair. Yeah, it was a fantastic no, it, finish. It, it was. But, sick of rule, sick of it. Yeah, the, I mean to be fair, the Morton uh, directors after the game at Capo a few weeks ago came in and said, You must be sick of the side of us. <laughs> I don't know. We've, we've just been so lucky this season against you, you know, you must be uh, sick. As I stood there and said nothing, <laughs> <laughs> and then just just to cover off uh, 
Daniel, we've kind of touched on it already. You know, Michael had a rare jaunt to hospitality for this game, so it's a bit hazy, the details, but there's some... <laughs> <laughs> the, hospitality is very good, folks, yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. But we, we paid for it, by the way. Very, yeah, very reasonably priced as well. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so check out the official website. EFC.co.uk. It's done like a good plug. <laughs> <laughs> and that was nothing like a good plug. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was impressed by some of them. Uh, like I, I, I happened to be away for the first game the season. I, I do go to games if I know some missing audience, but I do go to games that <laughs> happen to be away for that one. But uh so it's the first time I'd seen them. I, I thought they hunted in packs for ninety minutes. I thought it was incredibly well organised. But we never got any time at all. Uh their, their first goal was as good a goal you'll see in a championship. Uh obviously, you know, it was great to see we got back in the game, you know, we kinda huffed and puffed at them a bit, but and obviously the goal that we lost us it wasn't a free kick in the first place, in no. view, but you know you got to defend it better yeah. than that. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, it was well worked when they floated it to the back post. And, but yeah, you want you want your guys picking picking them up. So. From, from uh, hospitality to sponsorship, <laughs> that's very smooth. Ah, well, you try your best. Eh? <laughs> I believe we've signed a new uh, a new deal with SRJ Windows. Yeah, um, it, we we announced that uh, last week. Yeah, no, that's that's a. Uh, Good news story for the club. SRJ have worked very hard with us over the last uh, three or four years. Um, again, people need to remember where the club were uh, three, four years ago, and that there wasn't too many people out there who <laughs> were willing to, you know, become, uh, you know, the club um, sponsor, uh, the shirt sponsor. And it's, and I know everybody sees SRJ windows on the shirt, uh, but they do a lot more than that to support the club. There's all sorts of things that they do. Uh, so they've been a great partner for us and. Um, you know the, the Macintosh family have uh, you know been a great support to us, and so we're delighted that we could uh, sort that out, and that gives us a good platform to plan for the, mm. the next three years as well. So it was the same time as Arsenal announced their two hundred million pound deal with Emirates. So a similar type of deal would that be, Ross? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so aside from that, the club there's also the internal improvements. We had a wee with. Uh, Mikey a few weeks ago, and so the Jock Steam Lounge has been done up, is that right? Yeah, well, one of the things that obviously the, the, the stadium was in a state of disrepair, I've said that so many times, mm. we've done a lot of things in around the stadium, even just trying to get it clean and tidy and, and look in the park. I mean, we're sitting here tonight, obviously, overlooking the park, and you, you know, you, you, you look and, and, and see the stadium. I've been in another couple of football stadiums today with another business that I've been doing, and then you just realise what a great stadium this is mm-hmm. um, and how big a club we are um, yep. as, as well. But, but there's loads of things that we want to do, but you've got to do it in manageable chunks. We've just refurbished the boardroom um, and we're now working on the, the Jock Steen suite. And again, that's important uh, for me. The club has a fantastic heritage. Aye. You walk, you used to walk into that boardroom and it, it looked like something out of a bank, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> but what what we've we've now done, and again, a lot of memorabilia went missing. Mm, um, yes. I mean, I, I, people have told me stories of uh, European pennants lying on skips and all sorts of things. Uh, incredible. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that's gone missing. So we've managed to piece it back together. I've written to a lot of the European clubs who've been kind to uh, provide uh, some things back. Uh, so everything's profiled, uh, you know, about the club in terms of the, the European nights. All the clubs over the years that we've played in friendlies, yeah. and again, you, sh- you should see some of the clubs that we've, uh, we've played over the years. British, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know all the cup finals, the league championship winning uh, years. So the, the boardroom looks like a football uh, boardroom now. Uh, and, yeah. But to be fair, I, you know, I sit at times, um, you know, in the in the boardroom, I look around, I'm just like a wee boy going away to look at this trophy or uh, look at yeah. that, and then you think. Oh God, I, I, I'm the club chairman, Aye. but you know it is. It, it, it's a bizarre feeling to think, oh right, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm the chairman now at this club, and I, I'm still like a fan, reading things and looking about it. It is fantastic. So th- these are all the types of things that we want to try and keep improving in and around the stadium. As I say, we're now working on the Jock Steen. That will be the Jock Steen Centenary Suite. Uh, it'll be getting renamed, mm-hmm. and all the. Uh, Trophies and things that we got presented from other clubs for in our centenary year uh, will be pride of place in there. Fantastic. I really love the badges for all the European teams mm. up in the, mm. uh, 
the director's lungs there down. Yeah. The jacuzzi and champagne bar were a surprise though. That was meant to be a secret. That's the find a secret door. But I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, um, um, J- James uh, Cregan uh, signed for us a few weeks ago and uh, I had brought him into the boardroom and, and I just pointed out that, you know, this again, this thing about a massive club. I pointed out all the European games that we played. If you remember, Falkirk have only played one time. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. Got a badge up yeah, there yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> so I had to point that out to him, obviously. Um, but you know, you, you you take you just accept that as a as a fan. Yeah. But you don't always realise that other clubs don't have that type of uh, heritage. Yeah, totally. It is really special. We were, before we started recording tonight, we uh, we were in there briefly, and it, it does. It looks magnificent. Thanks that. And that's part of the stadium tours, is that, yeah, is that right? Yeah. yeah, so I think if, if people can get a chance to, to see the club, it's actually see the boardroom, it's uh, aye, it's, it's really, really excellent now and uh, something to really make you proud. Yeah. Continuing the stadium improvements and uh, the ever controversial Northwest stand, uh, a couple of things here. Obviously, they had to close section L. Uh, it's been it's been done to death, I guess. But because you've got the platform here, do you, do you want to explain on how that came about and what the reasons for it were? Yeah, I mean, the the thing is, it was it was the last resort. Ah. I mean, that I, I want to make that clear. I mean, I've said many times, I, I sat over in the northwest as a season ticket holder, and I, that's where I always watched uh, back to the cage and everything else. Yeah, you know, I I, I was in there and. You know, listen, we've, we've all been football fans, we've all been young, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here today and say, well, I always sat down and uh, kept my mouth shut and everything else. <laughs> um, you know, it's a passionate game and we, we tried to, um, you know, encourage the, uh, the, the supporters over in that section to abide with, the, with the, the ground regulations and everything else by staying out with the, the stairwells and sitting or, or even standing in the in the in the um, the right place, but because they were standing, they were blocking the view of other people. So we had, we had all sorts of complaints, and then we had, uh, you know, an issue at the Falkirk game uh, towards the end of last season. Uh, and, and to be fair, as it turns out, it wasn't actually a Dunfermline fan. It was just somebody who had come along on the day to to create uh, problems, which we do get. Yeah. Uh, I should add, at some of the bigger games, mm-hmm. people just come along. They've no affiliation with the club. They're just there to create uh, trouble. Um, so you know, the, we were we were under a lot of pressure um, from various parties, um, and we, so we, the season had finished. Um, and before the season tickets had uh, went on sale, we had to make a decision. So that that was a decision that we had taken. I said on record that could have been maybe handled a bit better, um, but because the season had ended and we only had a short period of time before season tickets went on sale, we had we had to do something very very quickly. Mm. We've tried to. Um, you know, create a, another section further along the northwest where, where people can um, create an atmosphere. Yeah, create yes. an atmosphere. Yes, yeah. um, and, and it's worked. I have to say. I mean, yeah, myself and Steve, we sit in the Nori, and um, I, I think it's noticeable. Yeah, no, how, it does. How much, how much more you can hear the, the guys singing? And, yeah. um, I think it transfers over to the Nori a bit more as well. So hopefully, we can keep that going. Well, I think if you look at the Falkirk game, the Dundee United game, the St. Mirren game. Um, you know, there's a good atmosphere uh, at these games, and it, and it came from the guys uh, in, in the northwest. Mm, mm. Um, now, so we've, we've tried to create a, a session where again, they, you know, they can they can stand. We're not we're not going to we're not going to create any problems because of that. Um, but all, all all I tried to say when we had the supporters meeting a few weeks ago was, look, there are there are rules and regulations. Everybody's got to work within them. Um, so. You know, as, as long as there's there's, there's no uh, you know a, a abusive language, because we've had uh, issues. This is not just northwest related either. It's across the whole ground where we've had um, people being ejected because uh, of um, uh, various things that they've been saying. So as long as everybody adheres to the rules and regulations of the ground and you know don't uh, uh, all gather together. Um, you know, ten people in a row of five and things like that. Or don't run down the front, um, or you know, to the to the pitch side and things like that. Then um, we, we want we want to work with everybody. Well, it's understandable. Though. I think probably speak for myself and your your favourite topic, Michael. That the ideal scenario would be have it as 
say standing probably. Well, we maybe just call it standing. Yeah, I mean, I go for full and terracing, but I appreciate that there's there's given the situation with uh, as you mentioned various authorities, we have to be careful what we do. But yeah, it's been a long uh, long standing bugbear of mine. I, I Pardon the pun. Give in a <laughs> <laughs> long sitting one. Um, that I think it would it would make a massive difference if if there was if the club could at least be looking into um, finding a way to let people stand at the match. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, as I say, in the area in the northwest, um, you know, that that's not enforced. But what we'd like to do is actually create a, a safe standing area, mm. a proper mm. safe standing area, and uh, and again, that's something that uh, that's written into the um, you know the charter on our website from Pars United took over the club that we would do that. Um, Doogie George is, uh, and his wife Karen are looking into that in terms of the feasibility of doing that. Mm-hmm. Now that might not necessarily be in the northwest; it might be somewhere else. But mm-hmm. again, you know, let, let's be honest. We, we all understand why you know grounds are now seated, but it does sanitise the, the, the atmosphere. Yes. You know, yes. you, and in, in the olden days at East End Park, you know, you gathered together, um, and even if it. The, the crowd was. I, I remember when the terracing used to swing around behind the goals. Mm. You know, if, if it was a game where it wasn't full, people just right. pushed up yes. you know, to create that atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you know, you look around in our uh, case, it's red seats, but you've got people dotted all over Aye. the stadium, and that and that just kills the atmosphere. Aye. Yeah, yeah. And the ground looks empty. Aye. Right, so it used to be 3,000 on Tuesday night or Wednesday yeah. night, East End, it's a great atmosphere. Yeah. We used to have a couple hundred away fans right the other side of the cage. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was all good atmosphere. Yeah. So I, I understand the safety reasons and what we said. We, we all know what came out of the Taylor report and everything else, but that, that's the unfortunate thing about seated stadiums is that you know p- people are separated and you don't get necessarily that, that atmosphere. But I mean, trust me, that, that's something that I, I'd love to see East End Park a mm-hmm. safe standing mm-hmm. area. That's good to hear. I mean, Steve mentioned, touched on the other thing was, as you were saying, about the fact the away fans Aye. sometimes being a bit closer. Well, in, the, in the past, the away fans were always much closer to the home fans, and I think that definitely created atmosphere. Um, is that something that we're likely to see anytime soon? Well, again, the the, the reason that the fans are uh, in the, the stand um, I, again, it, one of the things that you know, that maybe from the outside looking at, you don't appreciate is that. All, all the games, with the exception of the Falkirk games, um, we don't have any police at the games. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the cost of a, a police game is about two and a half thousand pounds. Right. Um, so, if, for example, um, you know the, the away fans were in the northeast, then the, the potential for there to be an issue mm-hmm. is greater. Now, I know it adds to the atmosphere, but then the, the difficulty you've got, well, is that going to compensate? Two and a half thousand pounds extra for, for police. Mm. So, what we've got to do at the start of every season is work with the police uh, in G4S and actually come up with a plan as to how we approach different ties because obviously, different games in the league are different risk ratings. So, that's where we've got to, you know, if you, if you basically separate the, the, the way in the home fans, mm-hmm. you, you, you reduce your risk. Yes. So, yes. you don't need as many stewards and you don't need police, which obviously would increase the cost. So, you've got to Balance of course, yeah. Uh, uh, um, I've, I mean, I've often wondered whether we could literally just put the cage back in and still have seats. And yeah, there's no risk of losing yeah. the cage there, but the, the, I don't know the practicalities. My, my recollection of the cage was you, you, uh, the, the view was terrible at times because you, could, you couldn't see it. Um, I think it was the best. Sorry, you know, right? <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, you, you guys have got an advantage. Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was so high. Mm. Yeah. It had the net and everything as well. Ah, it was. It wasn't great at times, I guess, but I guess people maybe just put up with it then, but yeah. take the social media now. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, you're right. I think, I mean, I, I think it's, it's like everything else. Society changes and uh, people become less tolerant and they expect more than, than what we probably did. <clears throat> we, we, we went to, to games maybe 20, 30 years ago. Aye. Uh, just another thing I was going to ask about the ticketing policy. I know, I think it came up in the, the statement yesterday was the deal with sitting in allocated seats. For, for me, obviously I've got a reserve seat, it helps I go my wee boy and things like that, we can turn up whenever we've got it, but I always get the feeling if we could just unreserve every seat in the Noria, there wouldn't be a problem. Uh, I take it that's 
kind of Edinburgh Festival type arrangement, I take it that's just no go with the, the regulations. Yeah, uh, the, the thing is there's two strands to that, obviously there's the unacceptable conduct rules now where you've got, if anybody does um, behave in an like, uh, unacceptable manner, you've got to be able to identify them, mm. whether that whether they sit allocated <laughs> see or not, I mean, yes. let, let's mm. be honest, it's not going to actually achieve that, but so that that's part of the reason, but also at the bigger games, um, you can't, you, you need to, to get the flow of people in to the ground, you have to w- operate on allocated seating Aye. because otherwise it, it just uh, turns into a complete and utter bun fight. Um, so that's why you can't you can't really chop and change and say well, it's allocated seating this week but not next week. Okay. Mm. I mean, what you know? I, I, again, it is allocated seating, but clearly at the the, the 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 games where there's not as big a crowd, it's it's going to be less of an issue. Aye. The one time it seems to cause confusion is like a cup game or something like that. So I'm a season ticket holder. Am I entitled to sit in my seat or no? It's, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, in terms of cup tie, it's you, you know, um, like for example, the last cup tie we played was Morton. Mm. You know, you you would be able to sit um, in uh, effectively any seat. Aye. Yeah. So you 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 lose your right as a season ticket holder. Okay. Is is there a thought? Of- did I hear right? And this is kind of slightly unrelated. That you're going to be able to put that on the season card. So if I want to buy a ticket for the morning game, I can get it on the season card and just yeah, get access yeah. that way. Well, one of the things that we're looking at is like having a like uh, you know a supporter smart card. That's one. Of, that's the next uh, stage from the the, the turnstile access system that we've got. So any sort of interaction with the club, you go into the shop or whatever, that it's all done through the card and it, it helps us create a better database and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. we're looking at all these types of things, Stephen, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, one of the things that's come out, I mean, certainly it was clear at the meeting a few weeks ago, was that um, there's a sort of lack of consistency about, you know, is it allocated or is it not? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a supporter will go into the ticket office, be told one thing, and then the, the G4S steward and one of the stands will tell them something totally different. Yeah, yeah. So that that's not um, any, any good. So again, we're, we're having to uh, make sure that there's a consistent message um, told by everybody. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, kind of rules and regulations in a wider context, just going to touch on other major topics in football, because obviously we don't exist in a, a little bubble, we're in the, the wider scheme of things. Logical place to start, I thought, was the, the SFA. Obviously, Stuart Reagan resigned. Uh, fancy the top job, Ross? Uh, no, no, I certainly don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've got enough enough problems uh, looking after one club, never mind uh, all the others. Uh, so from my point of view, I thought it was something that had to had to happen. Probably had to happen in maybe 2012. When you say if X happens, we've got Armageddon, and then when X does happen, you preside over it. I thought it was a uh, what is untenable, I think it's often used, but mm-hmm. obviously the, the kind of unsuccessful bit for Michael O'Neill, I guess he felt it was his time. Uh, who would we like to see in that role? Was there anyone obvious us to talk about Leanne Dempster at Hibs, but she's distanced herself as well. But I, I don't think there's any obvious candidate, uh, to be honest with you. What, what I'd like to see is somebody um, you know, who has experience uh, in, a, in the business world, because that that's... You know, it's a business you're you're running, yes. mm. uh, but also understands football um, and understands the, the dynamics of it all because it's a strange, strange world, and it's been eye opener for me over the last few years, get, getting to grips with the you know the football environment. But so somebody who's had you know experience of uh, you know um, both both sides, and and again, there's there's no to me there's no obvious um, uh, standout uh, uh, candidates. No. That was maybe similar after O'Neill said not the manager's job with the, the position there. And obviously they've not waited till there's a new chief executive, they've appointed Alex McLeish. Now, it's, it's maybe not the most exciting of uh, appointments, but it seems to be a safe pair of hands. He did a very good job last time. He took over from quite a stable base with Walter Smith leaving. And you could argue, once again, it's quite a stable base he's taken over from. I thought Strachan did a reasonably good job. Then, you know, obviously there's one or two. Uh, Poor results yeah. to stop this from qualifying in, in the two campaigns, but uh, Michael, what do you reckon to, to Alex McLeish? Um, I'm torn on McLeish because I, I agree he was doing a fantastic job, um, but then he left us to go to Birmingham, yeah. and and while I can understand his reasons for doing that, I, I to me that sticks in the craw a wee bit, and I, uh, I I I wasn't best pleased McLeish got the job, but um, I wish him wish him all the best. At least at least it was at the end of campaign he left though. You know, they didn't jump ship. That's true. 
that is mid campaign, leave him high yeah. and dry. And don't like him, don't know what's going on in his life, but don't know his reasons for taking it. Of course, of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, purely, as, as you were touching on before, Ross, people don't see inside the, the back of people's lives, but um, certainly from on a, on a surface point of view, my feeling was that he had, he got us to a good place and now was the time to build on that, mm. and instead he, he went off to, mm. to Birmingham, which I, I find very disappointing. Yeah, I, I think Alec McLeish is a good appointment, um, you know, in terms of the, you know, obviously, let's be honest, it's not, there's not a huge uh, no. number of people want to put their name forward for the job. And you know, obviously Michael Neal for a number of months had been looked like the preferred candidate and obviously I think you know how the SFA have gone about it, they've kind of left themselves open to uh, criticism. Mm. Um, so I think you know it does seem a bit strange I guess that you've made an appointment before you've got a chief exec but I think the time was going on and the, the, the difficulty is Alan McLeish wouldn't have waited uh, forever either. Sure. Uh, so I actually think it, I think uh, Alec McLeish uh, is a good appointment because he's, he's got a, you know as good a record as Scotland manager as anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think as well, um, you know, and you know I might ruin my, my, uh, my words here, but I think there's a really good group of young players coming through now with you know uh, that could play for Scotland. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and again, a good experienced manager like Alec McLeish, um, I think. Um, I think we could be in a good place shortly with Scotland and obviously I'd, I'd love to see us qualify again um, but I, I, I do think there's reasons to be positive uh, for all the, the issues on the administration side of it. I think in terms of football um, there's a lot of good players now you know, who are coming through at mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. clubs and players that are playing at a good level down south. Well you certainly spoke positively about uh, winning the the group, I forget what the tournament's called now, but Nations the, League. the Nations League guys, Israel and Albania wants to win that, mm-hmm. and then he said, you know, you need to qualify for the Euros. Uh, so it's good to hear someone talking positively, and this, this is this is what I'll be judged on mm-hmm. qualifying for a major yeah, tournament. Yeah. Obviously the next major tournament is the World Cup, we won't be there, but the thing we're all going to be talking about is, is VAR, because it looks like they're going to introduce that. Mm. What have your thoughts been on VAR, Michael? It's been a bit of a mixed bag thus far. I'm, I'm, a, I'm I think possibly a heretic is I'm, I'm strongly against VAR. Mm-hmm. I really do not like the idea of it. I don't believe it's practical to to make it work in an acceptable way, and I feel it will. Uh, I feel it will ruin the game, and will it? Be, I actually think eventually it, it will be rejected. Um, certainly from what I've seen so far, and admittedly there, there's been a trial period in England so far, but. Um, I don't see fans standing for it for too long. I, I, I kind of have to be, I don't agree. I think they should use it as math for matters of fact. If a goal's offside, it's offside, fair enough. If there's a foul and it's on the edge of the box, is it in the box or is it out of the box? When they, when they stop play for penalties and things like that and try mm. to make a decision based on that, I don't think it works particularly well because that's a subjective decision. Yeah. Uh, in order for a handball in the box or something like that, you know, it's a, you know, it still doesn't clear up whether it should be a penalty or not, and you know, it stops the game for about three minutes. Like the, the Liverpool West Brom game was a mess, yeah. and, and and the worst thing is for the fans there. I mean, it'd be even worse if it was in the Championship. You know, got big screens, but the fans there, there are big screens, but they're left completely in the dark. No idea what they're going on. Yeah, they've got a guy making a TV sign and putting his finger in his ear, and that's all, all they can see. Yeah, it, was, it, uh, it looks a bit cumbersome at the moment. Uh, and obviously that was the first game, the game at Anfield, wasn't it? And it was two or three times that it was stopped and it just disrupted the flow of the game. It was horrible. I almost turned yeah. it off. Yes. Yeah. Were you watching it live? I watched it live yeah. and it was, it was, I also watched the highlights later because I was interested to see how the BBC would cover it. And they chopped it down to about a minute, but it was three, four minutes and it just went on and on and it was off. I, I think, I think if they introduce it fully into games and it happens even close to being like that, there'll be fans booing it. Uh, no, ma- no matter what the actual outcome of the thing. Yeah. I, to, to touch on what you said before, Stephen, the, the, the problem I think is is how you're going to draw the line between what you do and don't make rulings on using VAR because uh, there was the example of Man United the other day got a, a goal knocked off away in terms of Huddersfield. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was it was the most marginal decision. Yes. It was the right decision to, to disallow it. So VAR, in a way, did its job. So it was the squiggly line decision. It was the, it was the squiggly line decision, yeah. But even even the, the squiggly line notwithstanding, um, it was. I, I think there's a danger of pursuing the perfect 
um, yeah. and destroying the good. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I mean, for example, think, think of a corner. The ball comes in from a corner. There's pushing. There's pulling. There's probably three or four fouls happening yes, in yeah. different directions. Yeah. How are you going to sort that out on a yeah. on a yeah. year? And it, and once you start down that path, I just don't know how you how you avoid it getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. I, I I think it's a it's a really bad idea. And and again, it's back to the word I used earlier: sanitize, isn't it? It becomes you know you're trying to get everything absolutely perfect. Yes. And that's one of the things about sport. Uh, you know, particularly football and the much maligned referee, but that's what creates the excitement. You Aye. don't, you don't know. You score a goal, and you yeah. go to the linesman, and Aye. oh yes, a goal we've, we've, we've scored, and you don't, you don't want to oh, stop that. It becomes like American football, and that's one of the reasons I don't like American football because it's stop, start, stop, mm. start. You know, you, you you want you want to be on the edge of your seat, um, and a bit, a bit of uncertainty. I'm thinking of the box here, I've got too much time on the train sometimes, but the, the, the one overall problem I've got with offside rule in general is that it's completely, you know, with reference to the goal line. Mm-hmm. So you can be, you can receive a ball and be offside, and you can have every member of the opposition closer to the goal than you are. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, you could bring VAR in, do away with offside calls in general from the linesman, and it should be, it should be, now, not if you're close to the goal line, but close to the goal. <laughs> so you almost have like a, you have a standard deviation. Will the box become a semicircle? Oh, you have a standard deviation curve, as like so. You have fifty yards away from the, the corner flag, but you're fifty yards out, and that's how it would be like a curve line. <laughs> <laughs> you should work for FIFA. Leave the SFA jobs. Just to end the the, the the first half, then the two things that. Uh, so saw in the wider football sphere that kind of thought related to the Pars, but obviously Leeds United went down the, the route of trying to change their club badge and it got shouted down immediately and they retracted on that. Sometimes it can work though. I remember being at Thistle a few years ago, they had like a centenary strip, it was like an old style Scotland strip almost they had and it looked beautiful. So I'm not going to ask about any plans to change this, the, the badge because I don't know that would be ridiculous, but one of the things we've always quite fancied, certainly since the whole Pars United thing, was the, the blue and the maroon away kit. Probably heard this before, but it seems like an obvious idea to be adopted. It seems like it'd be a seller and it's something that's never been done. Is it just logistics with manufacturers? Yeah, I mean, that's, that, there's, there's, there's two or three ideas that we've got that, um, uh, that we've obviously... Because you, you are trying to make uh, things different and you, you want them to sell this year, obviously, with the, the away kit. Was like the old seventies a week at mm-hmm. um, the black and red awesome. stripes. It's, I think and then, probably my favourite a week at of all time. Yeah, and Brilliant. then the you know the old style DFC badge. Mm-hmm. So just trying to remodel. So there's 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 things that we've got planned. Aye. So um, watch watch this space. Yeah, and yeah, I love the I love the other way strip this year. I love the Sampdoria kind of style yeah. one. Yeah. 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 yeah, Some people call it a cycling jersey, but it's, yeah. it's a Sampdoria. <laughs> yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. And the, the last one to end off, uh, just. Jesse Lingard's the latest player to fall foul of, of social media. Uh, I sometimes wonder why players go on social media because it just is a, a, a barrage to come back at them if they do mm-hmm. the slightest thing wrong. Yeah. Did the club do anything with their players yeah. To, yeah. to kind of warn them of the do's and don'ts? Because obviously you're not going to keep them off Twitter or anything like that. No, no. Um, the, um, I mean, I, I, I don't do social media to be fair, but uh, I know I, I understand um, you know, how it operates and how powerful it can be. And it can be a positive tool, but unfortunately, it can be quite negative as well. So all, all the players are aware of the, their obligations. We have a social media policy. And one, one, of, the, one of the big things that um, we, we need to be conscious of as a club, and we are actually about to do a designated um, uh, training afternoon for the younger players, mm. because a lot of the younger players get into difficulty on social media. Um, and believe it or not, there's certain individuals who target young football players mm-hmm. um, and try and get them to do all sorts of things. And they basically build up a library. Um, mm-hmm. And then if player X then moves on to a bigger club yeah. and then all of a sudden becomes famous. They've got that back in the back. Yeah, the yeah. I mean, it's just, you would not believe that that, that goes on, but that, that's how it operates. So educating the you know, the players in particular, I would say 17 to 19, about the dangers of social media um, is, is very, very important. And that's something that we, we've got a specialist company coming up from down south uh, to do a, a course for the younger players um, in the summer. 
Um, so you know, again, that that's something that we are we we are uh, very much aware of and yeah. try and guide them. That's good to hear. The other, the other thing is, is you know, you often hear in the forums, you know, if someone's particularly scared about a player, saying, "What well, if they come over and read this?" So I, I'm torn. But if I was a player, I'd think, "Well, I'm not going to go in there and read what could be said about me." On the flip side, if there was a big forum about my work, or you know, no doubt with the podcast, we'll look for feedback on it. You'd mm. be really, really tempted to. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know. Do, do you think the players read these forums? I'm saying we'll get these forums. Do, they <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I don't do they use the internet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I, I, I'll be honest. I don't know if they do or uh, not. Uh, you know, no, nobody says don't uh, don't read this or don't read that. Mm-hmm. I think it, pl- players will uh, make you know, make their own decision. I mean, some of the players are you know quite. Uh, Avid on social media, some mm-hmm. of them don't don't bother. Yeah, uh, it's it's really what works for the person as long as they they're they're uh, uh, conscious of what they do. One thing is we have found is what, what do they call it? These um, fake accounts, the uh, the parody. Um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So this, this we found out to our cost that some players have got these. Ah, you know, okay. And you, you think it's a player that's actually saying something. Ah. No, I, I don't do it. Somebody has, has taken set up. It's, a, it's very difficult to please that. It is. Yeah. It is. And that, 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 that's in the world that we live in. Ah. Yeah, I mean, that's a wider society. Yeah. I don't want to say problem because, I mean, social media is what I do for a living, but it's. Uh, I, I'm glad I'm not a, not a teenager or a young man mm-hmm. uh, now. Mm-hmm. I think it, would, it seems an awful lot harder than. Yeah. Well, day, well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing is, that as as kids, you did you did something stupid, or you did that. You know, you, you were out on a night out, or whatever, uh, and no, no, nobody would know. No, you know, it was your birthday, somebody else's, or whatever. But now you can't you can't go anywhere or do something, and mm-hmm. if something like that's a football player, then a phone's out. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a car accident, a phone. People uh, have got phones out recording. You can't do anything. No, that's that's all documented. Yeah, yeah, uh, but. I think the one thing we can all agree on, we're not going to solve that particular social no, issue. No. So, until the second half, at least. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we'll, we'll end part one.